Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, everyone. Charles Watts here. Welcome to another edition of Inside Arsenal. As usual, we've got plenty to talk about today, we've got the big news about Granite Xhaka as that move to Bayer Leverkusen finally begins to rumble through to a conclusion and plenty of other topics to discuss. Of course, we've got some questions from you guys at the end as well. And today I am joined by a very special guest, none other than the great Kaya Kainak from Arsenal. A good mate of mine, a fantastic journalist as well, who's all the details for him will be down below in the description. If you don't follow him already, then do so. He's also got a new YouTube channel out as well, which he's just started. So I'll send you over to that. Give it a link, give him a subscribe. And uh, he's heading off, clocking up the air miles very, very soon to Germany and the US for all the Arsenal pre-season tours as well. So he'll be providing you some excellent coverage. So hello, Kaya, mate. How are you getting on? I'm very good. After that intro, I'm in an even better mood. Thank you very much. The great Kaya Kainak. I'll take that. That's a very nice intro. That's the nicest <laughs> intro you've ever given me in person. You know, never normally this nice when we're off camera, so I'm very happy with that. I don't mess about, mate. I don't mess about. <laughs> get those hot chocolates ready for uh, for yes. the pre-season. How are you feeling about all that? Are you excited to get going again? You've had a nice little break? Yeah, I had a good couple of weeks off just now, so getting back into the swing of things. I'm looking forward to pre-season. It's, it's again, like last year, it's going to be a really interesting pre-season because I think we've all got like loads of questions that need answering we've all seen these signings but we don't quite know where everything's going to fit so should be a really informative time should be a really fun time as well yeah I'm really intrigued to see what happens in pre-season I'm intrigued to see where Kai Havertz starts I think we're all kind of got an idea in our head haven't we that he's going to be that left-sided eight replacing Granite and it's going to be really interesting to see exactly how he lines up and if Mikel tweets the system and on pre-season was so important I mean you were in US last summer and it went so well (laughs) You know, the performances, the mood around the place. And, you know, that really sort of, they took that momentum into the season, didn't they? And you, you can tell that Mikel wants something very, very similar this time around. Yeah, it was such a contrast. I, I've done two pre-seasons so far covering Arsenal. And the one before was obviously the COVID-impacted season where they went to Scotland and they played Hibs and Rangers and they got quite roundly beaten by Hibs, which was embarrassing at the start, and then drew with Rangers and then... I think they had a couple of games in the mind series against Chelsea and Spurs and lost both of those, went into the start of the season with 
bad vibes. Everyone got mm. COVID, um, lost to Brentford, lost to Chelsea, lost to City, and it all went wrong. And you contrast that to the good vibes around America. And you could tell without even really talking to anyone, like everyone was just in such a good mood. And, um, you know, from covering Arsenal as well, like you, you, even without talking to people, you do get sort of a sense of what the atmosphere is around the, the dressing room without even needing to ask Mikel Arteta a question or speak to anyone in the club. You just, you just get the vibe. And, it was all positive smiles on everyone's faces. And also I think it helped that they got their business done really early. So everyone who was there sort of could integrate nice and nice and fast. And they, they did a few things like I know at team dinners, for example, they would like provide placements. So you, they'd mix people up. So there wouldn't be any cliques. They try and get people sitting together. So it wasn't just like players on one table, staff on another table. They tried to mix it up. They did lots of sort of fun and interactive stuff and, being in Orlando, I think they went to Universal Studios, a few of them. So there's there's plenty of stuff. And, you know, they're going to New York, Washington, LA, and obviously Nuremberg before that this year. And I think you're right. I think it is really important. I think I know people in the, in the club who think that last season was massive in terms of building up the momentum that obviously springboarded the title race. And they want the same this time around. So I think, yeah, it's going to be big. Yeah, everyone pointed to that, didn't they? Just how good preseason was and how important it was. The players, the staff, everyone you spoke to really pointed to how important that was. And it was Mikel's first as well, really, his first proper preseason. Like you yeah. said, the summer, before, the summer before was a disaster, basically yeah. going up to Scotland. Then they were going to go to America. Everyone got COVID. They had to cancel that tour at the last minute, scramble around for some preseason behind closed doors matches at the training ground and that mine series. And, you know, it's just as a disaster. And then obviously the poor start to the season was no real surprise after that. So, yeah, fingers crossed it's all the... It's uh, all good. And you, you talked about the importance of getting business done last summer. Of course, Jesus, I think he was signed today, this today, last year. Mm-hmm. Jesus signed, Zinchenko signed while they were over there and they flew him over from, from the Man City squad to take part in those games. And we're getting there in terms of the summer business this year as well, sort of acting early. Obviously, Kai Havertz is on board. It's going to be a big week, I think, this week in terms of uh, Durian Timber and, of course, Declan Rice, who we'll talk about. And finally, we're beginning to see some movement in terms of outgoings and um this man um we're now getting very very close to see your tweet there for those watching on youtube you want to see that if you're listening on podcasts and uh, the story broke last night that arsenal and leverkusen um had agreed around sort of 21.5 million for granite jacket now this is a really interesting one kai because at the start of the summer i mean at the start at the end of last season you know we were all there for the final game of the season saw granite say his goodbyes on the pitch we a few of us saw him say his goodbyes off the pitch as well um and we were all expecting a deal of around sort of 13 million to take place at that part that point now Arsenal have had this on hold and they've been talking to Leverkusen and, and saying that we want a little bit more for Granit Xhaka 21.5 million I think is a very very good deal considering his contract situation his age you know this is I think everyone's pointed to Edu and been looking at Edu this summer in terms of, you know, what can you do? How much money can you bring into the club? Because it's been a big question mark hanging over him for a long, long time. He hasn't really managed to do that many good deals for Arsenal in terms of bringing in money, which is really, really important because in the money they've spent. This is a good deal, isn't it? You must be, you must, you must think 24, 1.5 million is, is decent. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really, I mean, I even say it in the tweet, I think it's a really good deal. I think it's probably the best fee you realistically could have got for Granite Xhaka at this stage. And I think we were all sort of on that last day you mentioned, we were all sort of saying goodbye with a heavy heart. And there's arguments, I think, for keeping Xhaka this season. And those arguments are 
it's a bit of a transition season for Arsenal. Declan Rice is going to come in. We don't know what position he's going to play. We don't know yet what position Kai Havertz is going to play. It's good to have Xhaka maybe as a backup in case they don't quite hit the ground running straight away and maybe you can bring in a safe pair of hands and you've got someone to sort of manage the the, the transition. And it seemed as though Arsenal had relatively ruthlessly decided, no, clean break from the past. We want Havertz, we want Rice, we're going to move on. And I think we were all fine with that, but we all thought, 30 million, is that it? Is that all you're getting in return? And when that fee now becomes 25 million euros, as, as we reported yesterday, suddenly that seems a lot more palatable. It seems a lot more understandable. And I think we're all of the, well, most of the people I've seen have been of the opinion that don't particularly want to let Xhaka go, but I don't think you're ever going to get more than 25 million euros for him. Even when he was a lot younger, uh, had more time in his contract a couple of years ago when Roma came in for him, I think the most they were bidding was around 12 to 15 million pounds for him. So this is this is a massive uptick on that. And, you know, Arsenal extended his contract back then to protect his value. That was what they briefed at the time. And it, it's worked, if you like. It's it's made a good piece of business for Arsenal. And you mentioned Eddie there. I think, um, like you say, he's got this reputation for being not very good at sales. And I do understand why people say that. I look back to Bernd Leno, for example, last year. That was quite a minimal fee. That was quite small. And um, I look back to plenty of other players who you think maybe they could have got a little bit more for that. Jacker doesn't seem to be falling into that category. 25 million euros is, is great business. And I think it's a really smart move for Arsenal. And like you say, hopefully they can use that now to reinvest because it's not just the it's not just the transfer fee. It's the wages they're getting off the bill. Jacker is, is not by any means one of the highest earners at Arsenal, but he's not on nothing either. So you're moving that sort of salary on and you're able to bring in potentially something else. And I think it's a smart piece of business for Arsenal for sure. Yeah, no, I think it is. I think it's definitely a risk losing someone like Granite. Um, when you're sort of looking at purely on a football side of things, I think it's a risk because of, like I said, the experience he brings. Arsenal heading back into the Champions League for the first time. You've got a lot of young players. I think Granite would have been a good steady and influence behind the scenes. I think he's a very good footballer still, and he showed that last season. And whoever comes in to replace him in that role, whether it be Kai Havertz, which we think it probably is, certainly given the way Mikel Arteta was talking in the announcement statement last week when he you know, pretty much labelled, well, he did label him as a midfielder. Um, you know, it's still big. It's a it's a big void Arsenal need to fill in terms of goals, in terms of assists. You know, Granite really stepped up in that regard last season. So, um, but I think when you sort of look at it from a business point of view, how long he had left on his contract, his age, I think this was a deal that was probably too good to turn down in the end. And I think Arsenal are showing a bit of a ruthless side this summer that if they want to go up to a next level, as good as Granite was last year, I think you still looked at that position in the team and thought if there is an area to improve in the starting eleven, perhaps it is that position, even though Granite played very, very well. Um, so I think it's a very good deal. And, and of course, <laughs> we're getting closer to this man. And this is all part of the sort of midfield overhaul that we're seeing. Obviously, Kai Havertz has come in, like we said, and we think he's going to be playing in that, that kind of left eight role. And then the move for Declan Rice, which has been rumbling on for a long, long time, which we think this week might be a very decisive week in terms of getting this over the line and finally seeing Declan Rice in an Arsenal shirt. He's come back to England to try and get this move done. You know, Arsenal and West Ham is very, very close now. We're just in the final sort of stages. The longer this has gone on, Kaya, and the more you've had time to think about it, what do you think Declan Rice, the addition of Declan Rice, is going to do to this Arsenal team? How much do you think it is going to take him up to a, perhaps the level that Mikel Arteta wants? Um, it's quite difficult to answer that question without knowing exactly how he's going to fit. But I think most importantly, what he offers Arsenal 
is the option to play in various different ways. Mm-hmm. So last season, obviously, it was great. The first half of the season in particular was fantastic. But we all knew more or less the 11 players that were going to play every single game. I think it was eight of the 11 had started every game by the time they went to the World Cup or something like that. That is unheard of. And particularly when you've got Champions League football to contend with, you just can't do that. You have to rotate. You have to mix and match a bit more. And Declan Rice now gives Mikel Arteta the option to play more or less any kind of midfield he wants. So if he wants to play, I don't know, a slightly more attacking formation with Havertz and Odegaard in front, Rice is disciplined enough to sit back and do that role really well and maybe have he's good enough on the ball to link up with, I don't know, if you've got Timber inverting on one side and Zinchenko inverting on the other, you can do that. And if you want maybe a more similar formation to what they had last season where Xhaka was in the eight role and he was a bit more defensively minded, you can now do that in big games. And as well as all those tactical things he brings, he's, he's an excellent leader. He's a great character within the dressing room. And he's a quality footballer. I think he'll, he'll bring Arsenal's midfield. I think we can all agree that as much as there's some quality players in that midfield, it was probably the weakest part of the squad last season, I think. And you bring in a player like Declan Rice, who is arguably England's, you know, I think Jude Bellingham would have something to say about this, but arguably England's best midfielder at the moment. Um, one of the best midfielders in the Premier League last season, wanted by Bayern Munich, wanted by Manchester City, wanted by Manchester United, Chelsea, and Arsenal are the ones to get him. As well as all those tactical things I mentioned before and the dressing room things and all that, it's a statement signing for Arsenal. It's a statement signing that says, yeah, last season was great, coming second was great, but we're not settling there. We're not stopping there. We want to go and do more. We want to go and win things. We don't just want to be happy with, with what we've got. And I think it's the kind of signing that does take Arsenal to another level. I think it's the kind of signing that proves the project is serious. And I think it's the kind of signing that hopefully will, in the long run, deliver Arsenal some trophies because that midfield engine room suddenly looks so much stronger and so much more versatile as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I mean, I'm really, really excited to see what Mikel Arteta can do with with Declan Rice. I think we've all seen that Mikel Arteta is great at improving players. We've seen that over the last couple of seasons. Some of the strides, the likes of Martinelli, even Saka, players like that have, have taken. And Declan Rice, whenever you talk to people who kind of certainly watch more of Declan Rice than I do, anyway, now I've not religiously studied West Ham for the last couple of years, but say he's always, every season he adds more and more to his game. He just becomes a more and more rounded player. And you think he's only 24. You think when someone like Mikel, who's so... He just puts so much work behind the scenes into getting everything he can out of players. I think that's a really exciting thing about Declan Rice in terms of exactly what sort of level he takes his play, he, he takes his game to. Now, we think looking at the looking at the team and the way Mikel sets up, that obviously he's going to come in and you think he's probably going to replace this man, especially if Kai Havertz is coming in at the left eight. I think at the end of last season, we were looking at the Declan Rice situation, thinking, is he going to come in potentially as a granite replacement and kind of play in that more box-to-box role? But the longer this summer has gone on with Kai Havertz arriving and with what's going on with Thomas Partey at the moment in terms of his potential departure, you kind of look at it and think he's going to be that base of the base of the midfield in front of the back four. And you know, Thomas's role in this Arsenal team has been so he's been so integral to Arsenal. I think the way he plays, there's no one else in this squad who can do what Thomas do, can do. And that's why he's so important. That's why every time he's got an injury, the fear that just goes through the Arsenal fan base and like, I oh, know what we're going to do without about Thomas. Now, obviously, he had a poor end to the season. He wasn't alone in that. I think there was a drop-off in a lot of key players. But, you know, prior to that, the first two-thirds of the season, it was absolutely exceptional, Thomas Party. Again, we talked about the sort of risk of letting Granite go. I think let, <laughs> the, the thought of letting Thomas Party go, even if Declan Rice comes in, I, I'm just... 
I can't quite get my head around it. For, again, from a football point of view, I can from a business one. And that has to be taken into consideration. His age again. If Arsenal are thinking we're not going to give him a new contract, he's got two years left on his current deal. If we can potentially get 30 million or something like that for him this summer, it's probably worth doing. But it's still a big risk, isn't it? Yes, you've got Jorginho there. But again, if you suddenly lose Declan Rice, then you've basically got Jorginho or Mohamed Elneny. And if you're going into a, a season trying to win the Premier League, which we think Arsenal is certainly going to be aiming for, and trying to really sort of compete in the Champions League, it feels like a risk. You see this question here from Corey. He says, with the impending departure of Xhaka, I just think it would be potentially catastrophic to let Partey leave as well. It would ruin the midfield occasion as well as hinder our experience and depth. What's your, what are your thoughts? Even if Declan, which we think will happen pretty soon, does come in. What are your thoughts on the, you know, potentially, which we understand is the case, that Arsenal are open to letting Thomas go this summer if, you know, a suitable offer arrives? Um, I, I would preface it with the fact that I think if Partey does leave, Arsenal won't not bring someone else in to replace him. So there's the reason we're seeing all these links to Romeo Lavia. There's a reason Arsenal aren't totally out of the Moises Caicedo race, although I think once Rice comes in, that transfer just becomes financially unachievable. So it's certainly something that Arsenal would look at. They wouldn't want to go into the season, like you say, with just Declan Rice and Jorginho as their only options as potential sixes. I know Timber can sort of do it and Zinchenko can sort of do it, but not ideal in any sense of the imagination. So, yeah... I, I agree with you in the sense I think it'd be a massive risk to tend to really you if Partey leaves and you bring in a younger model, you're essentially sort of trading trading him out for someone who's younger. And I it's a risk because Partey's a known quantity. We know what he can do. We know he's a very good footballer. We can we know he understands Mikel Arteta's number six role. And it's a very complicated position. And it took him arguably a season and a half really to get to grips with it. It's not an easy position to play. And He's been so good at it for so long and obviously his, the season didn't end the way he would have wanted. But I, yeah, like you say, I can understand it from Arsenal's point of view in the sense that two years left in his contract, 30, um, you know, the, the the kind of player that Eddie has said he wanted to move on in the past. I think it's the kind of thing where Arsenal won't actively be looking to sell. But like you say, if the offer comes in, they'll certainly entertain it and they'll certainly consider it because Romeo Lava players like that are out there who can potentially come in and, and do the job. Partey, for me, is is someone who has been outstanding in the Arsenal midfield. And if you lose Partey and Xhaka, you're losing two-thirds of a, a midfield that was almost a title-winning midfield. Yeah. So you're losing two very good players and you're replacing them. And it is a risk to replace them because bringing in one player into midfield, if they struggle at first, you can sort of cope. So let's say Declan Rice comes in, plays that left-eight role, struggles to find his feet a bit at first. He's still got Erdegaard and Partey in there who are very good players who can sort of lighten the load and carry that a bit. If you're bringing in two players, let's say Rice and Haberts both come in alongside Erdegaard and they both struggle to hit the ground running, I don't think they will, by the way, because I think Arteta's a good enough coach to bring them up to speed and I think they're intelligent enough players to, to get with the system pretty quickly. But you are taking a risk. You are gambling on the future in the midfield. I guess you don't bring in players unless you're totally confident they can eventually one day become first-team players and, and make an impact in the first team, especially for the amount of money that Haberts and Rice have cost. But... Um, I think it's a risk letting Partey go. I agree with the the question from Corey there. Um, I think, yeah, definitely a risk. Yeah, I think, like you said, I think it's a really good point that you're basically losing two two of your of a midfield who went very very close to winning the title, and you know that is a that's a big call. It's a it's a bold move. I do think, like you said, I don't think Havertz and um, and Rice are going to struggle. I definitely don't think Rice is going to struggle. Havertz, of course. 
we kind of have question marks over him because he hasn't pulled up any trees at, at Chelsea, really. But I do, uh, you know, I've got so much trust in the way Mikel works and what he gets out of players that, you know, if he's got, if he was so determined to sign Kai Havertz for 65 million, you know, that's that's good enough for me, I think. And I'm expecting him to do good things with Havertz. He's clearly got so much potential and it's not, you know, I think it's hard to judge players at Chelsea because they've been such a basket case of a club for a while that it's really hard to judge players in terms of their individual performances at, at Chelsea. So, you know, I think he could easily do good things at Arsenal. But yeah, I think if you're, if you're, you know, someone like Lavia, who's obviously been linked again, that's not one that I've ever actually kind of had confirmation of. So I'm a bit reluctant to, you know, say it's it's something that could definitely happen. It might, you know, not, but it's not something I've heard of uh, other than links I've seen on, on social media and various sites. But even if that was to happen, I still, you know, you're, you're basically trading a really experienced player uh, still in his peak years, really, despite his injury issues with a young up-and-coming talent who's very good. I thought it was great in the first half of the 3-3 draw of Arsenal at the end of last season. But, you know, when you're going into the Champions League and trying to compete with Manchester City, it's still a big risk when you've lost Granit Xhaka as well. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, the outgoings are almost going to be as important as the incomings this summer. And um, there is another incoming, which, from what I understand, is pretty, pretty close to happening. And... um, is this man who I think is going to provide the squad with an awful lot of versatility. I'm intrigued to see where he's going to, what Mikel Arteta has planned for him in terms of the sort of starting eleven and what that could potentially mean for Ben White, which we'll talk about a little bit later on because I've got a question about that. Um, but... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. How how interested are you by this signing? Because it's one that... It's one that I wasn't expecting at the start of going into the summer. But the more I talk to people who know Timber, who I don't really know much about myself, but I'm getting a very good feeling about this this potential signing. He certainly ticks a lot of the boxes, his age, his versatility. Um, he's exactly what Mikel Arteta likes in a player. And I think he's going to bring an awful lot, a lot to this squad. Now, do you think you can play with Timber and Zinchenko in the same starting 11? I think you can. I think especially given that Havertz is going to be playing that uh, that left eight role. If you think about it, as the way I think Mikel Arteta sort of views it is like two blocks of five. So if you've got Rice as your six, and uh, obviously Saliba and um, Gabriel, and you have those two inverting, maybe one of them goes forward every now and again, and you've got your sort of attacking four, if you like. Um, I think you can do it. And also it gives Rice a bit of license to get forward, box to box kind of thing. So yeah, there's there's I think it could work. Um, it certainly gives you a lot of 
control. It certainly gives you a lot of a monopoly over the ball. And maybe there'll be some games where Arteta does want to pack the middle of the pitch and he wants to sort of overload the middle of the pitch. And maybe there'll be some games where he wants to go out wide. I think whether he plays week in or not, week in or week out, sorry, um, is kind of irrelevant. But I think what he offers is options. And like with the Declan Rice signing and like with Kai Havertz signing, you now don't really know how Arsenal are going to line up. And there's lots of questions that need answering in pre-season as we, we spoke about at the very start. And now Arsenal are a really unpredictable side. And if you look at Manchester City, who, if we're being honest, are where Arsenal are trying to get to, that's kind of the blueprint. You've got no idea what team Pep's going to pick week in, week out. Like towards the end of the season, you kind of knew because I think once they were pushing for the treble, they were kind of they were in a bit of a rhythm. But prior to that, you don't know if it's going to be Ake at left back, Kanji at left back, Cancelo at left back. Um, you don't know who's going to play in the middle. Will it be Diaz? Will it be Laporte? Will he move one of those fullbacks into the middle? Uh, who's going to play in midfield? Will it be Rodri, Gundogan, or now Kovacic? Um, who's going to play on the wings? And I think Arteta wants to get to that eventually. Mm. I think that's his plan, particularly with. Champions League coming up in sort of an era where Arsenal can't really have an A team and a B team like they've had in the Europa League. It all just has to sort of be A star and A's. You can't really have anything lower. And the injuries to the right side of the defence decimated Arsenal's title challenge last season. I'm someone who views the title challenge as really coming to an end and that night against Sporting Lisbon where Williams, Lieber and Takira Tomiassi were limped off injured. Timber is, his availability stats are very impressive. He's had minimal injuries throughout his career. And with that signing, you now get rid of that really as an issue because for Arsenal, the the problem of both Saliba and Tomiassi being out meant that they couldn't really distribute down the right-hand side and Saka became largely anonymous and we all know how that affected the team. With Timber in the side, even if he's maybe not the biggest guy in the world, he can play centre-back. He can give you that sort of option, that versatility. If you want, you can move Ben White into the middle. There's plenty more options now for Arsenal and Arteta and I think that's positive. Um, I, I, there's no negative way to look at this signing. And I think more good players at Arsenal Football Club is great because um, as, as you know, as good a servant as Rob Holding's been, uh, I think he struggled when he came into the team last season. I think Arsenal struggled as a result. And Arsenal are getting to a level now where they can't afford to carry players like that. They need to have players who can come into the team and maintain the level. And yeah, Timber, I think, gives them licence to do that. Yeah, he does. I think you're absolutely spot on. I think it's going to be so important that we get sort of move away from the fact of Arsenal having a starting eleven. They've got they've basically got to have a, a basic a starting 15, 16, 17, don't they? Yeah. That you just rotate every other week and and there's no, there's no predictability in the Arsenal squad anymore because it was very predictable last season. We knew it. I don't think that was necessarily a negative because I think a lot of Arsenal's success last season came from having that um that starting eleven that we all knew about. But towards the end of the season it maybe did become a little bit an issue. And when the injuries did happen, there wasn't the cover wasn't there, was it? The the drop off was too big for the players coming in. And the more you improve that squad, the better it's going to be. And I think your Manchester City example is absolutely absolutely spot on. And I'm really excited about this one. I think he's going to be a really good addition and the options he's going to provide up Mikel, like you said, if he does play as a sort of inverted fullback and he moves into midfield, if you know just if Sometimes you might look at that and think in the centre-backs could be exposed by basically only having those two back with Zinchenko and Timber bombing up the pitch or sitting in the midfield. But you can have Declan Rice dropping in, making it three at times. And it just makes Arsenal it, it just makes Arsenal a very unpredictable team. And I think that's going to be a very, very good thing. And I've heard very good things about his character as well, which is a positive. And I think he's going to be a really good addition. And like Declan Rice, I'm expecting things to really move forward with that in the coming um the coming days. I think it's gonna be a big, big signing, big, big week for Arsenal. We've got the contracts that we're expecting announcements for on Reese Nelson and 
and William Saliba as well. And it's tough to look at anything that's happened so far in this summer for Arsenal and and really view anything negativity neg- negatively. I'll get that word out. Is it? Everything seems to be going right. They're getting the players they wanted. I mean, signing Declan Rice, if stroke when it happens, is just such a statement, like you said at the start of this, in terms of the teams they're beating off to, to win that race, the money that they've spent. You know, that's huge. They're getting other players through the door early. They're getting the money they want for players like Granit Xhaka. We'll wait and see. The contracts are coming uh, are going through. You know, the, if Saliba, well, when Saliba signs, because it is going to happen. You know, Saliba, Gabriel, um, Martinelli, Saka, all signed in the space of, what, a season. Days gone by at least one of those players would have left, wouldn't they? Arsenal wouldn't have been able to keep hold of them. The vultures would have come circling. They'd have gone. The fact that all of these young players are happy to commit their future mm-hmm. to Arsenal, it just says an awful lot about where where the sides are. One player, though, who probably is going to go is this man. And, you know, really big talent following Balogun. Um, 50 million we've seen mooted in the last 24 hours or so, the price tag that Arsenal putting on Balogun feels a little bit optimistic to me, um, but I like the I I kind of like the way they're maybe approaching the market. If that is the case, um, I get lots of questions about Balogun, Kaya, and I'm sure you do as well. In terms of why is why are we letting Balogun go and keeping Eddie, uh, which I think is a little bit harsh on Eddie, but the contract situation with Balogun, the fact he's so he's got a real he's a really ambitious personality. He wants to play. He wants to be a leading figure in the team. He's had that last season. I can understand why Arsenal are, uh, are looking at the option of movement on this summer. But do you think fifty million? Do you think that's realistic for someone like Balogun with his experience levels? No, I don't think they'll get it. Um, especially when you consider the teams that are looking at him are teams in Europe who don't really have that much money. If it's mm-hmm. a Premier League team, then sure, that could be something that you could look at. Uh, but no, I don't think Arsenal will get it. But when it comes to 50 million, I wonder if maybe it's a bit of sort of gamesmanship from Arsenal where a bit like what West Ham did with Declan Rice and David Moyes was doing press conferences saying it will take 120 million to sign him. I wonder if maybe Arsenal was sort of putting out high prices, sort of weeding out anyone who's not serious and then you negotiate down from there. I guess that's how these kind of things work. You don't go in saying, oh yeah, we'd take 30 million, but we want 50. Mm-hmm. You have to go in saying, no, we'll only take 50 and then you sort of realistically negotiate down from there. So I would assume that sort of Eddie's strategy there and he's probably, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he went for 50 million in the sense that he's arguably worth it. Um, if you think Arsenal signed Alex Lacazette for 60 odds a few years ago when um, he was the top scorer in France, I know he'd had a couple of seasons where he'd been a bit more than Balogun, but Balogun's young, um, two years left in his deal, so Arsenal wants to sell. Um, amazing record last season. I don't see him starting regularly at Arsenal next season. And I agree with you. I think the Balogun Eddie, the, the comparison is a bit harsh. I think people really forget how good Eddie was when he came in after the World Cup. I know it sort of tailed off a bit, but the reason Arsenal were able to sustain their title challenge around the January period when there was a lot of uncertainty because there was those injuries and will Madrid come in, won't Madrid come in, what's going to happen with the midfield, all that was going on. And Eddie kept scoring goals. He scored three in a row and then scored a couple against Man U. And that was really important for Arsenal to be able to sustain their momentum. And I think, I don't want to sound dismissive of Eddie, but I think he's probably happier to be on the bench than Flo is, like you were saying earlier. I think, I remember 
I don't know if you were at the, at the press conference where we spoke to Eddie and Ketty before Europa League game, and it was basically every journalist in the room was asking the same question in different words, but they were asking, why have you signed a new contract if you know you're not going to play ahead of Gabriel Jesus? And his whole response was, well, I know I'm going to get opportunities eventually. There'll be injuries. It's a long season. And he did. And for Arsenal, if an offer for Eddie comes in, then fantastic, keep Balogun. If an offer for Balogun comes in, then keep Eddie. And, you know, that's testament to Hellend, the good work they've done. Be able to create two 30 plus million pound strikers, which is 30 million pounds of profit. That's the way it's viewed in the accounts. It's great news for Arsenal. And I think I'd love to see Flo Balogun compete in the squad and maybe see if he could do something at Arsenal, but it doesn't seem like that opportunity is going to come. Maybe you sell for less than 50 million and you put a buyback in or something, but yeah, um, I think 50 million, like you say, is a bit ambitious. Yeah, it's going to be a shame, isn't it? I think if he does go, you're always going to have that big what if over Balogun, especially if he goes on and does, does well, which you know, there's no reason to think that he won't because of the way he's been performing in the last year or so. But it's just timings-wise, it's just not quite worked out, I think, for him, is it? And maybe if he had three years left on his deal, you'd, you'd say, all right, just stick around for a season, get some game time, see what you can do. But the fact it's only two years, it's kind of forcing Arsenal into a position that maybe they would rather not take. But realistically, you've got to think, we've got to get some money in for this player now and he's, his value is never going to be higher than it is. So it's a bit of a shame for Balogun. We'll wait and see what happens with him. Um, the players, of course, have come back, seen the pictures there of them. Gabriel Jesus and Leandro Trossard arriving back yesterday, first day of pre-season, um, which is always an exciting day. I think it just makes the season just feel a little bit uh, a little bit closer. And it's mad to think that first game against Nuremberg is, is next Friday. You know, we're, we're only, what, nine days away, 10 days away from the first game of the season, which, of course, you'll be you'll be out over in Germany. The players all being put through their paces. Mikel Arteta, has he got grey hair there? If you're watching this on YouTube, I'm, I'm, I don't know if it's just the camera light. But it's significantly first... older. It's uh, the first thing that struck me. It's like how I can't believe that's a worrying sign if Mikel Arteta's perfectly moulded hair is beginning to to go grey. I feel like he'll go grey really well, though. I think he'll be annoyingly annoyingly good in how he goes grey. I think it'll be like that sort of like in French they call it like salt and pepper look. So I think I think that'll be that'll be what he's going for if, if he does if he does go. And while we're talking about like, while we're talking about hair, you've got the immaculately formed hairline <laughs> of Rob Holding next he's to him. It now. The Alexander's gone. I know the the greatest comeback story in in football last season was Rob Holding's hairline. So, all the players back and they were out on the pitch. Actually, I thought yesterday would just be a day of a training in terms of inside science, you know, all the science stuff, collecting all the data, that sort of stuff. But they were out on the pitch already, and um, and I do like that training kit. I have to say, so that, that that's a good sign. All the not all the non internationals are back yet. Of course, they'll be sort of drip feeding in over the next sort of week or so um, ahead of the the game. Do you know if everyone's going to be going over to Germany or not. I got asked that question yesterday and I wasn't sure if all of the non-internationals will go to Germany or not, if some of them will come back after that. I remember last season, they weren't all over there, were they? They sort of yeah. joined up after and then everyone went out to the States. So I'm not sure if that's was, the case time or not. Last season was a bit closer. I wonder if maybe they'll maybe they'll go at different stages because it's a whole week training camp. So I wonder if maybe they'll go and maybe not play and a few of them will be on the bench. I think the under-21s Euros people, so like Smith, Rowe and Tavares, for example, I don't think they'll be there. Because Tavares only went out with Portugal a couple of days ago, and Smith Rowe's still there, so I'd be surprised if either of them are there. But um, I think most of the internationals should be back, but yeah. I don't know whether they'll play. Yeah, because I know it's people like Thomas Partey. I know is now back in England, and I don't think he was at the, he was there yesterday. But that's going to happen as the sort of week week goes on. So it's a good chance it's going to be a very strong squad heading over to um heading over to the states. Let's um move on to some questions now, shall we? Before we bring this 
to a close. Um, Ball and Bannett here says, Hi, Charles. Last season, you could pretty much predict Arsenal's starting lineup for every game with Champions League, Premier League, FA Cup, Carabao Cup. How do you think Arteta will fare having to rotate or rest players but keeping the delicate balance of keeping players happy? As Arsenal fans, we're all ecstatic that we're improving the squad. But the other side of it is that only 11 players can play at once. Keep up the good work. Thank you very much for that. Um, and this is an interesting one. I think one of the question marks still hanging over Mikel, certainly since the end of last season, was his ability to get the most out of his squad and whether he really trusted a lot of the players. Like I've said it loads of times. I feel like players like Smith Rowe, there was wasted opportunities to get more minutes into him during the second half of last season when he was fit. He was there and there was there was plenty of games where, you know, the games were done and yet instead of bringing on a Smith Rowe or something like that, he, you know, I, I remember the game against Leeds when he brought Saka on and Saka hadn't even trained. He'd been ill the night before. It was 3-0 at the time. And yet you bring Saka on in the second half. You think, well, why are you doing that? It was similar in the game against Fulham as well. And uh, there's always been that question about whether he's he's good enough in rotating and getting minutes into everyone. I don't. I think he's going to have to be this season. I don't think there's any. He can't avoid it with Champions League football. He has to try and keep everyone as fit as possible. He's got to use his squad. That's potentially why they're really strengthening the squad as well. But how do you see it, and how Mikel's going to manage to keep everyone happy in this squad as the season goes on? I agree with you. I don't think he's been very good at rotating in the past. And I think there's there's a lot of players have suffered for that. Um, examples that come to my mind are Samuel Conga and Fabio Vieira. I think they both really struggled because they never got any minutes at all. And he'd argue that game state's a big part of that. And I remember towards the end of last season where Arsenal were going for top four and they only had about 14 fit players. And um, that every game was sort of a one-goal margin. It was all really important. This season, there weren't as many of those. And you're right, I think... There were games where Arteta definitely could have rotated the squad a little bit better. And I think back to those Europa League games when, for example, Saliba played, shouldn't have played, in my opinion, against Sporting. Um, plenty of other, I guess, um, examples of that. And I think mood is definitely something that Arteta, he's very much, he's very good at sort of having his his core players, his, his, his group. But it does seem like if you're not in that core, it's very difficult to, to get back into it unless you really take your opportunity on the pitch and, if you're someone like an Emil Smith Rowe and you're only getting five minutes here and there, it's very difficult to get any sort of rhythm and, you know, with a couple minutes opportunities at the end of games, and especially when Arsenal are losing games, it's very difficult to to change the tide and to to get yourself back in. So that's why I think preseason is going to be big. I hope that he'll get better in terms of um, rotating the team because I think there's lots of good players Arsenal have. And I think, for example, like Eddie Nketiah, was well rotated in the first half of the season, but then towards the end of the season, Arteta sort of threw him on at the end of games and he'd had no minutes and he was going into games cold and he was sort of, there's 10 minutes left against Nottingham Forest, go and save us, Eddie. There's 10 minutes left against Brighton, go and save us, Eddie. There was loads of those sorts of examples and I think he'll need to get better at that. And there's not going to be as many games to do it. Europa League is sort of rotation-wise, it's a manager's dream because you can keep 25 players pretty much quite happy you can't really do that with the Champions League. And, you know, Carabao Cup, if Arsenal got out of that early, then arguably there's only about 18, 19 players that Arteta will really trust and use. But I think he's going to have to get better at that. Um, there's five subs, so there's no excuse not to be good at rotating. And, yeah, I think it's a problem that he's had in the past, and I think it's one he'll need to work on for sure. Yeah, and it's important for keeping the morale of the squad, isn't it? You need, you need players who feel like they're involved. And I think one thing you often hear when you speak to people in and around the squad is that, like you said, if you're if you're kind of in with Mikel, you feel very very part of it. But if you're on the outside a little bit, you kind of feel very outside and like you're not really 
involved. And um, I don't think you can afford to have that next season because the squad's going to be so, so important and everyone's going to need to feel like they're, they're sort of part of it. And I think it's going to be really, it's going to be one of the sort of intriguing things as the season progresses at how Mikel Arteta manages that. Um, Justin here asked if that was Lino Sosa in the pre-season first day on the team website wearing number 22. It was. Very good player. Real talent. At left back, you, know, you saw more youth football than I did last season, um, Kai. And I thought, I think I didn't see anyone else yesterday in the training pitches. I thought Lino was the only one that we saw from the sort of under 18s, under 21s. It was part of that group, which surprised me a little bit. I thought we might see more. It didn't necessarily mean there weren't others there. There just weren't any others photographed because quite a few, even like Charlie went over for Charlie Patino went over for Nuremberg, didn't make the US trip, but some of the youngsters made the Nuremberg trip last last summer. So it'll be interesting to see if any of them go. But do you reckon out of this squad, out of this sort of players bubbling up underneath that you watched quite a lot last season, that anyone's going to really get a chance? It's going to be difficult this year without Europa League, isn't it, for some of the younger players to really muscle their way into the first team picture because Mikel's just not going to have the luxury of being able to maybe use them like he would have done if there was Europa League football. Yeah, uh, the left-back position, I guess, if you do the maths, Lino Soza was kind of the only left-back there, I'm not saying he's there by default because I think he's a really good player and he, he, I think he would have been included. But Tavares is away, Tierney's not there. Zinchenko reported back yesterday, but um, was obviously struggling with a calf injury before, so I don't know what his fitness status is. So I guess it makes sense for, for Souza to have been included. And like you said, we don't know if there were other youngsters involved. But um, I'd say he's someone who could be involved in preseason. Uh, Raul Walters is another because when it comes to defensive positions, I also don't have that many numbers. But with um, the international players being back a bit earlier this year and the squad quality depth getting a bit stronger, I don't know if we'll see as many youngsters involved in preseason as we have in the past. Um, maybe in the Nuremberg game when the first team aren't quite up to fitness, but I wonder if Arteta will use that to get them up to fitness. Um, there are youngsters, we all know about Ethan Winieri, who is obviously um, hopefully going, well, he is going to commit his future to Arsenal, which is great news. And Arsenal convinced him by telling him there was a pathway to the first team. I don't think that'll be next season because let's not forget he's 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 16. <laughs> he's he's very young. So is Miles Lewis Skelly. So those two are the ones to keep an eye on. Those two are the big talents. But I don't think they're coming right now. Um beyond that, there's Amario Cozia Dubri, who's only 18, winger, quite highly rated. Um I'm trying to think if there's any that I've forgotten. I suppose those are the, the five that would I'd I'd say stand out, but I think it's going to be really tough for academy players to break into the team. And we all spoke to Per Mertesacker, didn't we? And we had uh, Jack Wilshire as well. And their sort of response to that was, well, if the first team level is getting better, the academy level needs to get better. Mm. So it's a challenge for Per and Jack and Mehmet Ali in the 21s and all those academy staff as to how they keep producing players for the first team. Because as, as well as just providing options and squad depth, it's also a, a chance to generate cash in the way that Flo Balligan looks at too. Charlie Patino is likely to leave on the permit this summer as well. And Joe Willock has done in the past, Emmy Martinez, et cetera, et cetera. So I think Arsenal will want their academy to keep producing at the level it has. But without Europa League, it's very difficult. And for example, let's say Bukayo Saka was coming through now and he's got lots of first-team players ahead of him. Would he have got the opportunities to play? Probably not. That's just the sad reality of it. I think Saka, Smith Rowe, Eddie that whole core of hair lenders, they came in at the exact right time when Arsenal didn't really have much money to spend and there was lots of Europa League minutes going. Now I wonder if those guys would get the same chance. I don't think they would, which is why Carabao Cup is going to be massive for Arsenal this season. Yeah, I think those, those guys certainly benefited from where Arsenal were 
when they were coming through and it's going to be much much more difficult now i wonder how if the loan market might be an option for these players they don't tend to go out at their age i mean i'm certainly not expecting Wanieri or miles lewis skelly to go out at 16 but maybe players like lino um and raul if that it's like you, you look at it and think what is under 21's football going to do for them next season i'm not sure it's going to do too much they, i kind of feel like they could follow um the past day like Brooke, you know, Brooke Lord and Cuffey and he's been very successful. He went out at a very young age, but has shown he can still he can handle it. And I wonder if Arsenal might well might well look at those. I mean, Raul, especially, I think physically he looks like he could be ready for, for senior football. And I'm not sure how what under 21s football is going to do for him next season. It wouldn't surprise me if he he was a possible loan option next um uh, next season. Here's from one from Joseph who says, Where will Arsenal accommodate all these players? He talks about there, Tommy Asu holding Tavares, Laconga. Balogun, who's spoken about Tierney and Ketia, Pepe. <laughs> Always forget about Pepe. El Nenny. You know, Arsenal played a lot of money for Havertz and um, we can't get marginal retail, uh, return for sales. Well, I think they are going to get mo- return for sales this summer. And, you know, I think the squad is very, very important, but you don't want to have too many players in your squad. So we are going to have to have, you know, quite a ruthless bit of selling going on. I think Arsenal's focus at the start of this window has obviously been on getting some of the key targets through the door. They've done that with Havertz. They're about to do that with Rice and Timber. I think then we'll move on to the stage of really focusing on outgoings. Once that's done, you know, that towards the end of the window, they might look at adding a, adding a couple of more. But if you look at some of those names that Joseph has listed there, you know, we've talked about Balogun. You know, Nelson's going to sign a new contract. Jorginho's going to stay. The interesting one, I think, Tavares, Sambi, and we all know that you're a big, big Sambi Lekonga fan, Kaya. Um, Rob Holden, you know, those three players I, I fully expect to go. Uh, Pepe, <laughs> I just don't know what's going to happen with Pepe. I, I really don't. It's... it's it's going to be an interesting one as it as it goes, but you know we're going to see some quite. We're definitely going to see some outgoings at quite a high level over the next coming weeks, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, if you look at how Arsenal have done business in the past, they've generally got the players they want in. Well, this is how they did it last summer. They got the players they wanted in, and then they sort of went to sales after that. And then if they really needed players at the end of the window, for example, Douglas Louise on on deadline day was only because of the injuries to Partey and Elneny in the game before deadline day. So. Uh, I, I just expect that's how Arsenal are going to do it this this time. Of that list um, that Joseph has has put out there, Tommy Assi will obviously stay um, holding. There's there's links, but I wonder if Arsenal might be inclined to keep him just for to have another body. But I, I... oh no, surely this is the summer that holding goes. Surely I think for him as well, he's just not going to play. You look at the defenders that are there, especially if Timber comes in, who's another option at centre back. I just feel like this has got to be the year. Surely that Rob Rob moves on. I know he's really popular behind the scenes. I know he's yeah. so he's such a leader and he, he's such an influence in the changing room. But I feel like this has got to surely be the summer that holding goes. I, I, from his perspective, I totally agree with you. The reason I say maybe that he'll stay is because if you start to do the maths of how many defenders Arsenal would have, let's assume that Tierney does end up leaving. Um, you've got two right backs in Ben White and uh, you're in Timber. You've got one right-sided centre-back in Saliba, Gabriel Kivior, and then I'm assuming Tommy Asu would be the backup to Zinchenko. That's only seven. So mm. I wonder if Artef would want eight. Uh, I know that White and Timber and Tommy Asu can all play that right-sided centre-back role. But I wonder if Arteta would just keep him around maybe until January, just for the safety net, and then decide to let him go after. But um, I agree with you from his perspective. I think it'd be the time for holding to go. But um, yeah, this is self-sustaining part of, of Joe's question. Arsenal would like to get back to that eventually. I've spoken to people who have told me that and I'm not surprised because you can't just keep spending this amount of money all the time. The way Arsenal view it is obviously they're investing now so that they can 
keep going in the future and start to sell more in the future. It's, it's not going to be 250 million pound plus summers every single summer from here on out. That's just not going to be the way it is. Um, so yeah, eventually self-sustaining is what they want to get back to. And I think sales will be a big part of it with Pepe. I wonder if maybe a Saudi team will, will come in and offer something silly for him. And then Arsenal will be very happy to, to accept that. But beyond that, maybe a contract termination might be another one that's, that's, that's done, but uh, yeah, it's difficult to, difficult to say. Yeah. Contract termination for Pepe is mad, isn't it? 72 million pound club record signing. It's, it's crazy how that has just, that has just not worked out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the self-sustaining model, I think that's obviously, it's very important. The return of Champions League football is going to be very, very important with that. You know, that's what how Arsenal sort of based their self-sustaining model on under Wenger was qualifying every year for the Champions League. And they haven't had that for so long. And that's, you know, really hit the finances. So hopefully that will really, really help with that. I think when you look at the squad that they have built, I think it's up there with like the top two or three most valuable squads in world football right now in terms of, you know, how much, I don't know if it's like transfer market or sort of basing those those values on but you look at the players in there and the age of the squad the talent of the squad they're all tied down to long-term contracts you can see it makes sense they are it's a very valuable squad now so if they do need to make sales they'll be able to make very uh very valuable ones although you would want to sell your best players at the moment um here's one that i can't even pronounce that name i think it's the lion or it's but anyway it says hi charles could the arrival of timber suggest the moving forward uh ben white's role can be to operate as a converted right back defensive midfielder or something similar to john stones's new roles or timber capable of that could this be Mikel's idea to cover the void soon left by granite uh news rice to rice in a box in rice in a box to box i think it's, it's interesting how arsenal finished last season basically kind of you know having four center backs on the pitch which very similar to manchester city did and um, is this the way Mikel and Pep are now looking at uh, working out their defences? You know, the fullbacks almost becoming redundant, which is mad when you think of how Pep was overloaded with fullbacks, and now he's basically gone completely the opposite direction and is playing with centre backs. And it appears that he's going to be sticking with that tactic for for the coming season as well. And Arsenal do have that options now. And Ben White is a centre back, and he's been playing at right back for over a season. Um, I'm not sure about him in the defensive midfield role. For me, I don't. I don't think so. I think Arsenal are gonna. If Arsenal are having to play Ben White as a defensive midfielder, there's there's something gone a little bit wrong there. Um, but you know, Timber's arrival, the impact it's going to have on Ben White is is an interesting one, isn't it? Because he's been so consistent, one of Arsenal's best players since he's arrived. He was brilliant last season. That partnership with Bakai down the right hand side was so influential and so integral to the success Arsenal had. And yet my understanding is that Timber is coming in as a right back. And so that does beg the question as to, you know, Ben White's going to have to adjust now to not being one of the first names on the team sheet every week. And perhaps this sort of rotation that we've talked about is certainly going to be seeing that at right back. So it's something that Ben White's going to, going to have to adjust to, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it's interesting Pep's gone full Barclays, hasn't he, in terms of the the every player has to be a centre-back. I think I saw him say that the hardest position to play is a defender. Um, so it's funny how he's, he's transitioned from that. But I don't know if Arteta's going fully that far in terms of every defender has to be a six-foot centre-back who can win aerial duels and defend really well and all that kind of stuff. I think he's looking at it from, I guess, a ball-playing perspective. And um, I don't know if it means it's the end of Ben White being a regular starter, but I just think the reality of being a team like Arsenal and the way they're headed is there's not going to be many positions in the squad where there's not going to be competition for places. Even the stalwarts of last season, sorry, I hit my mic there. Even the stalwarts of last season, someone like a Gabriel, for example, 
Kivio came in and did a really good job. And maybe Kivio will continue to get better. Maybe Kivio will even take Gabriel's spot next season. I don't think it will happen, but it could. There's loads of positions on the pitch now where there's, there's competition for places. Martinelli, for example, when Trossard came in, we were having these similar conversations and Martinelli reacted by going on and I think scoring five and five or six and five or something like that. The reality is for, for Ben White is if Timber comes in and he's coming in as a right back, if Ben wants to keep his, his place in the starting position, he's going to have to raise his level. And they've already been very high levels. Don't get me wrong. I think Ben White's been one of Arsenal's best signings of recent times. I think he was great as a centre-back. He's been great as a right-back. And transitioning into those different positions is not easy. And he's done it really, really well. But Timber gives something different to Arsenal. And sort of the theme of the show has sort of been, we've been talking about Arteta wants options and, and now he's got them. So same on the left side where Tommy Asi is a more defensively minded left back and Zinchenko is a more possession based left back, if you like. I think Arteta wants the same on the right, just in case there's some games where he needs to overload the left, some games where he needs to overload the right. I don't think it's necessarily a case that Ben will never play first team football for Arsenal again. I think it's just a case of he's got competition now and he needs to raise his levels if he wants to keep his place in the team. Yeah, and I think if there's one position that Mikel Arteta has actually protected his players, it's been at fullback. There were, like, the first substitutions were always tended to be like Tommy Asu for Ben White and something like that. He, he always wanted to try and keep them as fit as, as fit as possible. So, yeah, it's just adjusting, isn't it? I think we're just going to all have to accept that and adjust to the fact it's not Arsenal. It's not going to be a starting eleven anymore. It is going to be a, a squad game, and it has to be if Arsenal are going to close the gap on Manchester City, and which they want to do. It's going to have to be improving the level of the squad rather than the starting eleven, and players are going to have to adjust to that. We're going to have to adjust to that. And fingers crossed, uh, it's going to work. All right, look, we've hit the 50-minute mark. Kaya, thank you very much for joining me, mate. And as I said at the start of this video, to all you guys who have watched this, go and have a look in the description. I've got all Kaya's links in there. Go to his YouTube channel, give him a subscribe. He's going to be heading off to Germany, like we've said last um, next week. Then he's off to the United States. I'm sure he's going to be producing lots of great content for you to all follow there. So do give him a follow and subscribe to his channel. Kaya, thanks very much for uh, joining me mate and if I don't speak to you which I'm sure I will but if I don't uh, before you go have a safe trip to Germany and the US I hope it goes well and um, and yeah we'll all be following your coverage with interest thank you very much mate it's been great to be on and yeah you're smashing this YouTube thing so keep it up you're doing really well so I'm enjoying watching them thank you very much for having me on kind words Kaya kind words thanks everyone for listening or watching today's episode we'll be back tomorrow and who knows what will happen in the next 24 hours of the world of Arsenal have a great, great day everyone speak to you soon 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 